Julia. And I'm Sarah. And today we'll be talking to Melissa Highland, a marine biologist, on how do we take care of animals. Little warning, she's in an aquarium, so there's a little echo. Hi, Melissa. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Today we'd like to welcome you to our 8-5 Wonders and Learnings podcast. Um, our first question is, where do you go to school and how long did you go to school for? school I did a bachelor's of science out at Dalhousie University uh, in Halifax Nova Scotia I did a double major in actually marine biology as well as psychology so marine biology pretty self-explanatory study of the ocean animals and um, psychology people often think that psychology is only um, studying kind of the human mind and how humans interact, but I actually based my psychology on animal psychology, which we use very frequently in the animal field in terms of training behaviors with animals. So kind of learning how they think and they learn instead of just how humans learn. Do you get to work with all the animals at your zoo? Do I get to work with animals? Yeah. Yeah, I am very fortunate. My job description is zookeeper, so um, every single day I am working hands-on with the animals that we have on site um, from everything from helping with medical procedures to feeding the animals and then a big chunk of our time is spent cleaning. Um, animals are a lot of work to work around. Has there ever been a sick or injured animal come into your zoo or enter your zoo? Uh, we're really fortunate in the area that I work in Ontario that we have a lot of um, rehabilitation facilities around us. So oftentimes we get a lot of calls from the public that they've found maybe an injured raccoon or they have a deer on their property that was injured. Um, and then we can direct them kind of where they need to go. Um, the reason that we don't take injured animals specifically on site and a lot of facilities um, in the zoological field wouldn't take an injured animals on zoo grounds because those injured animals could potentially carry different types of diseases or bacteria that might then spread to all the healthy animals that you're caring for. So oftentimes any sort of rehabilitation center that would take in animals is going to be at off-site. They're going to have very strict quarantine procedures uh, where staff have to gown up and wear masks and um, have gloves and just be really, really strict with the people that can work around potentially injured animals. Would your zoo be releasing any animals into the ocean or do you send them to get released? Yeah, so um, when I worked out west, um, we, uh, I worked at a facility at the Vancouver Aquarium where uh, all the animals that stayed on site um, were animals that were either rescued in the past or um, were recently rescued and deemed non-releasable. So when an animal is found stranded, let's say, for example, um, a harbor seal, which is really common out on the West Coast, what happens is they're brought into the rehabilitation center if the government, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, deemed that they are um, in need of help. If the government deems that the animal is not in need of help, then there's actually nothing that any, any person in the animal field can do uh, because it is government regulations. So the government decides which animals are definitely in need of help. And then if they say they are, they are brought to a rehabilitation center where they're hopefully 
um, brought up to speed in terms of their health. They get a little bit healthier, they get some proper food, they get lots of fluids, they have vet care there. And then if they're strong and healthy enough, especially a lot of the older animals that come in, if they become stronger and healthier and they've learned all those natural behaviors from, let's say, their parents out in the wild, then they are deemed releasable again by the government. If a young, young animal comes into a rehabilitation center that hasn't even learned the basic skills of survival out in the wild, the government would make the decision whether the animal will stay in a facility for its lifetime or if it will be released. So um, it's definitely all comes down to what the government decides in terms of releasable animals. Animals around here, for example, um, because I'm in Ontario, we don't have any marine animals, but things like um, oftentimes we have a lot of snapping turtles that will lay their eggs, their clutch on the side of a road where it might potentially be really dangerous. And actually we get that pretty common at our zoo. So what we actually do is we relocate the adult, the female, into a safer area because we're right along a river. So we have a lot of safer areas that we could relocate the female. Um, and then what we do is we collect the eggs and we bring them to what's called the Turtle Trauma Center. And they are just another type of rehab that deals strictly with turtles um, and tortoises and mostly reptiles. And they would hatch the eggs until they're at a good sustainable age. And then we bring them back to the exact same spot, just a little safer spot, kind of where we'd leave the mother and release them. So it's a different type of releasing. Um, we don't necessarily need government standards for those smaller types of animals because they're always going to be um, releasable. Okay, so speaking of the quarantine for people, in your zoo, did you also have to quarantine the animals if they got sick or if they were sick at any time? Yeah, so we have really strict um, quarantine protocols that we have to follow at our zoo. So for example, if we have an animal that um, has always lived here, but all of a sudden becomes really sick and we're not entirely sure, um, we do have a vet that would check out the animal, but we have a whole quarantine um, facility here, a whole building dedicated just to quarantine. So we would bring that animal out of their exhibit and bring them down into a quarantine setting where we can better monitor them um, and make sure that if they do have any sort of disease potentially that they're not spreading it to other animals um, and then once they get healthier then they'd be brought back into their regular exhibit. Um, we also have to quarantine any new animals that come in so um, a lot of reputable accredited zoos like my zoo is um, we don't take animals from the wild. That's a very past thing that happens um, and definitely not in accredited facilities. But we do do a lot of trading between zoos. Um, so we work really closely with a lot of zoos all around Canada. And specifically, we work with what's called the species survival plan. So that's where we actually look at the genetics of certain animals that may be endangered or um, on the very brink of going extinct. And we actually match them with really good genetic partners all across Canada. So if we have, for example, um, at our zoo, we have squirrel monkeys that are part of the species survival plan. And if one of our squirrel monkey has really great genetics that would match with maybe a male in the greater Vancouver Zoo, then we would actually send that animal all the way over to Vancouver in hopes that they would mate and help rebuild their population. Um, so if we ever get animals that come in to our zoo from other facilities, they have to quarantine for a certain length of time to make sure that they don't have any sort of 
diseases again or bacteria or any sort of infection from any of the other zoos or travel that they may have come in. So for mammals, we quarantine them for at least 30 days and that includes sending out two fecal samples um, to make sure that everything is looking healthy. So every two weeks we send out a fecal sample. If it comes to reptiles and amphibians, we actually quarantine them for, um, for 90 days, so three months. Um, and again, we would send out a, a lot of fecal samples to make sure that they're nice and healthy before we put them in exhibit with our other animals. And then finally with quarantine, if we ever have an animal, um, because we are a smaller facility and we do have some larger animals, we have some Szechuan pocken, we have some Bacterian camels, they're really, really large animals. And with us being a smaller facility, our clinic area where our vet works is suitable for most of our animals, but just not the really, really large ones. So in that case, we actually um, transport our really large animals to another vet clinic that's actually located in Guelph at the University of Guelph, where they have tons of different veterinarians that are really experienced in a lot of diverse animals. So if we ever have to send out an animal outside of our zoo, when they come back, they also have to quarantine just because they simply left the provinces. Um, so with that being said, everything in our quarantine area, we have to be really cautious of. So we change our boots. We walk into a foot bath with a disinfectant that cleans the bottom of our shoes. We wear gloves, we wear masks, and all the times we wear coveralls to make sure that any of our garments that we're wearing currently don't get um, out into the animals that we have on site as well. So it's a really, really strict quarantine procedure because of course we want to protect both the animals in quarantine as well as all of our healthy animals that aren't in quarantine. So do all the animals take tests like we do to see if they have um, a disease. like a disease? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So our vet comes around and he does routine checkups on all of our animals. So for example, our vet came yesterday and um, did a checkup on our entire permit building with all of the animals that are in there, as well as our barn facility that has um, pigs and snakes and um, different types of um, uh, barn birds as well. So um, the vet does come around and do routine checks on the regular scheduled basis. And then on top of that, they also get different types of things depending on the animal. So for example, our camels receive and as well as the actually the river otters, they receive um, things for like protecting them from worms. So similar to what you would give your dog a heart guard medication, you might be familiar with giving your dog every month to make sure that they stay healthy. Same thing with their animals. So not only do we get to see them on the regular and make sure that they're physically looking healthy, but our vet comes in and then we can administer any medications that are regularly scheduled. And then on top of that, if there's any sort of um, requirement like additional medication, uh, maybe one of them has um, kind of like a goopy eye and we can administer um, eye drops for our animals, all those types of things, very similar to what you would do if you were to go to a doctor outside of just getting your regular vaccines. Um, okay, so since you work with so many animals, do you have a favorite or one that you prefer the most? Wait, that, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, I think that probably my favorite animals are the river otters. I really love working with them, especially here. Um, and I always aspired like my uh, education 
situation might describe to work with animals that kind of like to be around the water. Uh, I think that river otters are not only super adorable, but they also can be quite ferocious, which people don't always realize. So it's kind of neat that they kind of have two different sides to them. Um, and on top of that, they're really awesome and super fast in the water, but they also are really mobile on land, which kind of makes them a really unique species. Um, a lot of my past work has been done with strictly marine mammals, so whales, dolphins, um, sea lions, those types of things, where sometimes they might come out on land, for example, sea lions, but they're not quite as mobile um, as like a river otter might be, so... So because you are a marine biologist, does that mean that you strictly work with marine animals or do you work with other animals? So at um, my zoo that I work at, because we're a smaller zoo, we're really fortunate as zookeepers. There's only currently three of us um, and we have about 150 animals and 40 different species. So we are a smaller zoo, but it's a large amount of animals for three people to take care of, but we rotate through certain areas. So we've basically divided our zoo into three, and each month we rotate through the different areas. So even though my background is in marine biology, um, I get to work with mostly um, land animals now, um, which is kind of really exciting and a different um, kind of uh, route that I didn't necessarily know I was going to uh, take in life. But I was very fortunate to get to work with marine mammals as long as I did as well. Um, so yeah, I, I've kind of had the luxury of getting to work with all of the animals at our several facilities, which is really, really fortunate. Okay, so another question. Have you ever had to rescue an animal or the one that was ill or injured in any situation? Yeah, we had a really amazing opportunity, and it's easily my favorite story. Um, out when I was working out west, we had a, a false killer whale strand, a false killer calf, so very, very young. He was stranded um, just on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And false killer whales, particularly in that area with the cooler water, are not as much common as some other types of animals might be. So we were really, really fortunate um, that we got to participate in his rescue attempt. Um, so we had some staff go out and actually um, Department of Fish and Resources deemed that he was in need of help. Um, so then we had some staff go and actually transport him all the way back, which from the Vancouver Aquarium to the west coast of the island is a um, six to eight hour trip. So it's a really long time. We weren't sure if he would even survive that. Um, but he did, which was amazing. And then I was actually at our rescue facility um, when he arrived and got to do the first overnight shift with him and help with that. So because he was so young, um, he was an animal that needed to be um, syringe slash bottle fed. Um, he was still um, consuming milk at the time. He was very, very young. And actually, he was so weak and emancipated that... Uh, he actually needed to be held up in the water. Otherwise, he wasn't strong enough to reach the surface to breathe. So we had to spend eight hours overnight holding his poor little body, um, trying to help him survive. So he was one of the only false killer whale casts to kind of survive through rehabilitation, which was really exciting. Um, but because he was so young, he was deemed non-releasable by the government, and that's when he came to our facility. So I got to see him from a really, really weak 
stage in his life to getting to train him for healthcare and husbandry behaviors and getting to watch him kind of interact with other animals as well and kind of see him grow up through that. So it was a really amazing opportunity that um, I was very, very fortunate to have. And um, yeah, it was really, really cool. So I'm sure we've all heard of the movie Dolphin Tale. Has there ever been a situation like that happen at your zoo that you've had to deal with? Um, maybe not to that dramatic of an extent because of course it's a cinematic movie based on true events but we do actually currently have a um, African serval which is kind of a, on the smaller side of a feline a um, little bit larger than your um, house cats but anyways um, she um, is a little bit older but she's actually quite old she's in her late teens and she actually suffered a fracture in her um, right leg front leg and upon doing an x-ray and observing kind of her behavior and how she was reacting, um, several veterinary experts decided that probably the best course of action would not actually, because of course you can't really put a cast on an animal's leg in the way that she needed to use it. Um, they're really big jumpers and they use their paws a lot for um, defending themselves if they have to. So a cast would not be an option and just letting it heal at her old age would not be um, kind of an option for her either. It just wouldn't necessarily heal properly the way she would need to. So actually the decision was made to remove her front arm. So she actually is a three-legged serval now. Um, she doesn't need prosthetics because she's actually really capable of moving around. Like I said, they're jumping animals. They can jump very, very high. Um, and she's very capable of completing all of her daily tasks. And it doesn't seem to have affected her quality of life at all. So it's kind of neat to get to see her moving around and um, adjusting her way of life to having only three legs instead of the usual four. So kind of similar, but not quite as dramatic, I would say. Um, as needing a prosthetic um, hind flipper like in dolphin tails. Okay, since you've been doing this for a while, what made you want to become a marine biologist and do all of this? Um, I've always wanted to work with animals ever since I was young. I've never deferred from wanting to do that. Um, a lot of people kind of flip-flop between things that they think they might like. Um, I think that Working with animals is one of those things that a lot of people say they would like to do, but are maybe never given the opportunity or um, decide to go down a different career path. But I've just always wanted to since I was younger. And um, I've just been really fortunate that I have um, been able to complete my education and find the careers that I did find. Um, so yeah, I've just never, never strayed since I was young. Thank you, Melissa, for joining in on our podcast today. It was a joy talking to you. And we hope you have a great rest of your day.